hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. We've got a terrific, rapidly moving show for you today. Uh, I want to give you a couple talking points. I've been at so many meetings, uh, really had spent a lot of time with great leaders across the United States. Here's a couple of talking points of things you can do. You can use with words that will help you in conversations with others. The first one is, if someone says you're a conspiracy theorist, tell them, no, I'm a rational theorist. I have theories like you do, and we can, we can rationally discuss them and debate them. The second thing is if someone calls you an anti-vaxxer, say, no, I'm vaccine risk aware, and so should you. And then the third thing, if someone uses the word misinformation, know that misinformation and the word disinformation are actually propaganda terms. They're actually propaganda uh, weaponization. So when someone uses the word misinformation or disinformation, say, no, those don't exist for me. There simply are scientific observations and multiple points of view. I think if you use that and you are able to turn these conversations from these antagonistic, derogatory types of conversations into productive conversations, you can do it by your use of words. So I refuse to call anybody uh, and tell them that they are spreading misinformation. I simply say, listen, there's some data. Let's go ahead and talk about it uh, together. People say, if you're uh, a conspiracy theorist, I say, well, I have theories uh, just like anybody else, and, and we can talk about them. They're rational theories. So I wanted to get those out there. We've got a terrific show today. I'm going to give you an update that I went on TV this week with uh, Allison Seinberg from One American News, who's a terrific anchor out of California. And we cover a lot of topics, a pandemic response, uh, the vaccines, myocarditis, sudden death, and we get into over-the-counter medications being pulled off the market. And the second half of the McCullough Report is going to be dedicated to Michelle McLean, who's a former 1992 uh, uh, Miss Universe from Namibia, and that's a, a big a part of South Africa that was broken off in 1993 as its own country. You're going to love her insights. Is her interview. She interviewed me, but it went back and forth, and I really wanted to reproduce this on the McCullough Report. So let's get real. Let's get loud. On America Loud Talk Radio, this is the McCullough Report. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutloudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. The Natural Colon Cleanse. It's the ultimate digestive tune-up with Oxy Powder. It's crafted to alleviate the discomfort of gas, bloating, and occasional constipation. There's a reason why Oxy Powder is our number one seller. It worked. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Welcome back, everyone. 
Dr. Peter McCullough is sounding the alarm over a new study out of Germany that focuses on the mRNA COVID-19 vaccines and their effect on heart health. After conducting research on both rat and human cells, researchers found that within 48 hours of injecting the COVID vaccine, the spike proteins that are made from the mRNA are detected in the heart cells. This is what we formerly believed to be the cause of myocarditis. However, now the researchers found that these effects actually align closer with cardiomyopathy than with myocarditis. Dr. Peter McCullough joins me now to explain more on this. Cardiologist and chief scientific officer of the wellness company, Dr. Peter McCullough, thank you so much for being back with us. It's great to see you. Thank you. So I was very interested to hear that the negative effects we're seeing result from the COVID vaccine actually align closer to the cardiomyopathy, as it turns out, than myocarditis, as we had originally sort of heard about. Now, for those of us that aren't doctors like yourself, break down for us exactly what cardiomyopathy is and how it actually differs from myocarditis. What we've learned in the last few weeks, uh, some critical studies, one by Crossan and colleagues, it shows uh, in autopsies, human autopsy studies, this Harvard study, that messenger RNA is directly in the human heart. So that's been identified with inflammation uh, around it that would be called myocarditis. And separately, in a paper, again, multi-center study from the United States, Nakahara and colleagues showed that the cardiac muscle changes its preference for from free fatty acids to glucose. So this was a very disturbing study, over 700 vaccinated versus 300 unvaccinated. And then finally, the, the paper you started out with uh, from from Europe demonstrated that in rat cardiomyocytes, both Pfizer and Moderna directly applied on the heart muscle cells caused dysfunction. That means that the heart muscle cells contracted in abnormal ways and started to actually depolarize, electrical currents depolarized in an abnormal way. What this is adding up to is the vaccines clearly cause myocarditis or patchy heart inflammation in some but more globally, they may cause a form of a metabolic cardiomyopathy. That is a form of a diseased pattern, both metabolically and potentially electrically for the heart. And it may explain sudden cardiac death in the absence of myocarditis. Wow, absolutely incredible information. It's so sad that we're seeing such a rise in all of this. Uh, on this note, actually, this week I read an article in People magazine where yet another teenager collapsed after competing a cross-country race. And I think the most disturbing thing about this article was that this high school sophomore student was exceedingly healthy, uh, as described by his own friends and family. But of course, the article said nothing about the possible effects of the vaccine here. Dr. McCullough, will we continue to see this occur or at some point will these sudden deaths become less and less? I mean, is the damage already done or is this really just ramping up? It's disturbing to see sudden cardiac deaths, cardiac arrests well documented now two years after taking the shot. Now, we don't know if this uh, boy took the shot or not, but all high school kids are screened for hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, the most common cause of a sudden death in an athletic event with a physical exam, uh, EKG, sometimes cardiac ultrasound. So uh, we have a much better safety profile for kids in high school sports. But what we're seeing is we're seeing athletes of all ranges in the peak of exertion suffer cardiac death. And the case to really examine is Oscar Cabrera Adamas. He's a Dominican basketball player who uh, took the shots in 2021, suffered myocarditis, came out and told everybody he had COVID vaccine myocarditis. And then two years later, he has a cardiac arrest on a medical treadmill and cannot be resuscitated. 
So he's the clearest case of taking shots in 2021 and having a cardiac arrest in 2023. So my fear is we may continue to see this pattern unless some intervention is undertaken. And it's one of the reasons why we are working with what's called base spike detoxification in our program. We're working to actually try to remove the spike protein or uh, allow the body to be better equipped to, to clear it once it's enzymatically cleaved. Well, I'm so grateful that you are uh, working to try to uh, reverse some of these horrible uh, vaccine side effects. Uh, does your protocol that you have developed uh, reverse the damage, let's say, if someone is suffering from myocarditis or now this cardiomyopathy that we're finding? We can't make any therapeutic claims. We call it, we call it BSD or base spike uh, detoxification. Uh, but what we know, it has very solid clinical underpinnings. That is, the spike protein cannot be cleared from the human body. It's been found circulating in a paper by Brogna and colleagues from Germany for six months, the vaccine spike protein intact. So the human body is not breaking it down. We know three natural substances in combination do, natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin. Uh, that's the current base, and of course we can add to it. But we don't know about duration, and we certainly don't have large prospective double-blind, randomized, multi-agent trials. Sadly, the Biden administration and HHS has spent a billion dollars on long COVID and have provided no answers, no new drugs, no protocols. Wow, incredible. Well, I absolutely encourage everyone to go check out uh, the spike protein detox that you have developed. I think it's wonderful. I actually gave it to my dad, who unfortunately took the jab. So I pray that it works for him and all others that did. Now, in a related COVID vaccine story, uh, the latest report from Politico states only 3% of Americans have taken this latest COVID booster. Yet the CDC director continues to go around the country pushing it. Uh, Dr. McCullough, do you think this is an indication that the American people no longer trust the CDC and their ongoing fear campaign? You know, the rate, a uh, very small rate of anybody taking a booster is a proxy for no confidence in these vaccines. Yeah. Americans know they're not safe. They simply don't work. The XBB 1.5 booster uh, doesn't have really any scientific underpinnings. We are uh, now, we've rounded the curve, by the way, on the fall outbreak. Cases are down. Even test positive uh, hospital uh, patients are way down. And uh, we know that the outbreak is pretty evenly balanced uh, across EG5, uh, FL1.5, and the HV strain. So XBB1.5 is out of the picture. Americans aren't taking the shots. And progressively, more institutions have dropped mandates, including uh, workplace and college. And the CDC director is simply, at this point in time, completely oblivious to what's going on in the country. Yeah, it certainly does seem that way. You'd have to be in order to keep pushing this nonsense. Now, Dr. McCullough, I'm really at a loss over this next article I want to bring to your attention because I personally feel like these medications have actually helped me in the past, and the medications I'm referring to are the over-the-counter cold and flu drugs like NyQuil, Benadryl, Sudafed, and Mucinex. Uh, but apparently, according to the FDA, these medications don't actually work. Can you explain for us why the FDA is now making this claim and pharmacies around the world, I'm sorry, the country rather, are, are now pulling these medications from the shelves? It's a mixed picture. You know, we would require large prospective double-blind randomized placebo-controlled trials for all these separate products, and we simply don't have that big base of trials. It is, you know, used to, in a sense, help people through symptoms. Uh, you know, I think the um, 
the stimulants like uh, ephedrine, pseudoephedrine, they can raise blood pressure and have those warnings. As a cardiologist, I wouldn't mind seeing those off the market. Mm. But uh, mucolytics like uh, mucinex or antihistamines like Benadryl, they do have good uses in medicine. So I hope the antihistamines and mucolytics stay. Uh, I think the FDA and the Federal Trade Commission are in a sense trying to clean up the formulae. I wish they do it on the basis of safety Mm. instead of um, lack of uh, clinical trials, which we're simply not going to have unless their uh, funding comes through from federal sources. Yeah, that is very interesting indeed. And I have to ask just because, you know, I am a conspiracy theorist, but do you think there is perhaps something deeper and more nefarious going on here where the pharmaceutical industry wants these medications gone so that big pharma can be the ones to prescribe more expensive solutions rather than these inexpensive options that we have always had available. I mean, I I know I've heard a lot of discussion about the increased use of mRNA in all forms of medication in the future. So should we be perhaps concerned that cold and flu medications will now potentially contain mRNA as we see these changes being made here? Well, you're not a conspiracy theorist. You're a rational theorist. That means, you know, you kind of rationally think through this and and we could... uh, in a sense, uh, debate this. Um, I, I, you know, I don't see big pharma having a replacement offering, okay. meaning that you know I can prescribe cyproheptadine as an example. It's not any better tolerated than over-the-counter Benadryl. Um, I can prescribe Singular, which is slightly different than some of the other uh, um, decongestants. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that's the uh, agenda per se. I think the Federal Trade Commission is trying to clean up the outpatient uh, formulary here. Uh, there's no doubt about it that our agencies are completely wedded to a vaccine-first approach. And maybe by streamlining what people can get uh, available over-the-counter, people somehow would be, you know, have a greater proclivity to take a vaccine because we see a big push for influenza vaccines, which are, are basically not effective enough to recommend in practice. Respiratory syncytial virus, uh, which in the large Renoir trial, had less than 1% of people ever get RSV. And it's easily treated anyway, no hospitalizations and deaths. And of course, the COVID-19 vaccines, uh, as many people know, there are multiple calls to remove those from the market, including World Council for Health, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. I've done it myself, called for their removal in the US Senate, Arizona State Senate, the European Parliament, now a paper out by Pari and colleagues seven esteemed authors from Australia calling for the vaccines to be pulled off the market in the peer-reviewed literature. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that is indeed what needs to be done here before we start getting rid of all the cold and flu medications. Let's start with that dang (laughs) COVID vaccine, right? Dr. McCullough, we're all out of time for today, but thank you so much for joining us and weighing in. We really appreciate your expertise. Thank you. Take care. For all our viewers asking where One America News is heading in the future, we would like to introduce you to OAN Live. OAN Live is the best way to stay up to date on all of the hard-hitting, straight-shooting, national and international headlines. And the best part is, OAN Live is only $4.99 per month. All the credible, honest, unbiased reporting One America News offers at a fraction of the cost of cable. Just go to OANN.com to easily sign up for OAN Live and stay informed. Change in the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. 
it is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. Hi, good day, everyone. I'm Michelle McLean, your host for Tip Radio top international professionals, where we showcase top professionals from around the globe, hearing about their inspirational stories of success. Today, we have a truly phenomenal doctor, and I've been very, very inspired indeed by him, and I'm sure you will too. Um, we have to, I mean, he's got a list of accolades. So we have to say that, you know, being a renowned cardiologist, he's dedicated his life three decades of his life to healthcare industry and has certainly proven himself as an expert in households. Since the beginning of COVID, the disaster, he has been a fearless leader worldwide, uh, securing protocol around the world with other doctors and with healthcare givers. So without further ado, I just wanted to give a big round of applause and we can't wait to hear your inspirational story. Dr. Peter McCullough, very welcome. Thanks for having me. So, you know, there's so many questions that I have for you, but we have limited time and it's 6 a.m. in the morning for you. This is a dedicated doctor and man indeed. So first off, you know, you're an inspiration to doctors around the world. You have um, a leading uh, position in terms of especially uh, what we've gone through in the COVID situation. Tell us a little bit more about that. And, and also, uh, the, what was the highlight of your career so far? I can certainly tell you the last four years of the pandemic have been a capstone on my career. Uh, I'm an internist and cardiologist and uh, in academic practice. And that means I do a combination of patient care, research, and teaching. And prior to the pandemic, I was focused on the interface between heart and kidney disease, 
I had many important contributions over the course of my career in terms of in vitro diagnostics, clinical strategies, and randomized trials of therapeutics. But when COVID-19 hit, it really became the opportunity of a lifetime academically. And uh, I saw so many immediate needs. I mean, patients were being hospitalized. Uh, when death occurred, it almost always occurred in the hospital. So we need, needed a strategy to treat patients early at home and prevent hospitalization and death. And shockingly around the world, uh, no government, no health system, no medical school actually came up with a protocol to be able to do that. To this day, they still don't have one. So in your country, your major hospital health system, they actually don't have an approach of how to treat the next patient. Now, fortunately, it's a very mild syndrome and uh, very little treatments needed, but this early treatment of COVID-19 was a major opportunity. And it's still stunning to me that four years later, major institutions like in the United States, Harvard, Mayo Clinic, Yale, Duke University, they actually don't have a protocol. They don't have an approach. So that's very interesting because, you know, I come from Namibia in Africa and you would think that a first world country like the United States would be the leading country to set the trend for, for this kind of, um, you know, approach to healthcare and and to treat this pandemic. So what would you say are the next steps for you in terms of the progression? Now we know this has happened. It's real. Um, but I hear you say in between it it wasn't as bad. How, how... It, well, the, the virus has mutated now. It's a very, very mild syndrome. It's indistinguishable from a common cold. And, and virtually every person in every country has had the virus now. So they have natural immunity. So the next round of the infection is very mild. So that's great news. But early on, patients were being hospitalized and, and dying. And what we saw governments all over the world do is instead of brace, embracing innovation, instead of encouraging ingenuity, we saw governments actually try to impede early healthcare to actually block treatment of patients. This is stunning. In the United States, our National Institutes of Health and the Infectious Disease Society of America put out guidelines that said patients should not be treated at home. Should not. They should actually wait until they are sick enough to be hospitalized and still not get any treatment until they needed oxygen. And at that point in time, treatment should be administered. And I can tell you as a doctor, there's no form of pneumonia that we should wait until they're hospitalized to begin treatment. So I rejected that government uh, advice and uh, struck out on my own. I developed the McCullough Protocol, which is the most widely used protocol worldwide. It's uh, been, uh, it's attributed to saving tens of millions of lives and probably sparing hundreds of millions of hospitalizations. So it's the biggest accomplishment of my career. It was simply filling a void, something completely nonsensical, like don't treat a fatal illness in high-risk patients. And what we learned is that about 25% of adults early on needed treatment. It was multiple drugs. No single drug was necessary nor sufficient. And um, if started early enough, we could get patients through the, uh, through the whole syndrome at home. We use supplemental oxygen at home. 
we innovated and published on what's called permissive hypoxemia. We let the oxygen saturations go down, provided patients still could uh, breathe adequately and uh, uh, and have good mentation. Uh, we had so many innovations. By December of 2020, in a paper by Gukliaklis and colleagues, we had clear and convincing evidence that early treatment was working. It was the most important factor because we know masks, social distancing, lockdowns, and vaccines didn't work. The only thing that actually worked to stop the hospitalizations and death was early treatment. So when you talk about the protocol, can you just explain that a little bit more for our listeners? The protocol started with a concept called risk stratification. It means that not everybody needed treatment, only high-risk patients, those uh, older, over age 50, uh, when they accumulate medical problems, or if they present with severe symptoms, uh, that they would require treatment. Treatment actually initially meant opening the windows, getting fresh air, getting outside to stop the re-inoculation, using virucidal nasal sprays and gargles, very important, dilute iodine, uh, dilute uh, xylitol, colloidal silver, um, Various forms of mouthwashes work fine as gargles, scope, Listerine, iodine. Uh, but very importantly, doing that every four hours. That was a huge innovation because the viruses in the sinuses and the throat replicating. And we can't rely on taking pills when the virus is physically in these cavities. We actually have to reduce the viral load there. And then we used oral antivirals, uh, initially hydroxychloroquine, then ivermectin, then Paxlovid then molnipiravir, oral antibiotics, uh, oral steroids, aspirin, colchicine, um, uh, uh, very importantly, blood thinners, uh, subcutaneous anoxaparin and other drugs. And so it took about four to six drugs to get a very ill patient through the illness, including people in their 80s or 90s. But believe me, people would rather stay at home and get intensive treatment at home than be in the hospital where they couldn't see their loved ones, they'd be in isolation, and they knew that people were dying in the hospital. You know, United States, uh, we have less than 4% of the world's population. We're number one in COVID deaths because we had such a low threshold to hospitalize patients. It wasn't needed. Wow. I mean, that just gives me goosebumps all over. So this whole uh, philosophy, and it still amazes me. I mean, there's still people in Namibia that walk around with masks on outside in a perfectly fresh, I mean, we have the cleanest air in the world. And, and I see that in America. I live in Miami. So I see that all the time. I mean, how, you know, the, I think the education of this whole process and the way forward and the way it's mutated, as you just said, it's going to be around forever. It's just mutated. How do we educate people to look after themselves? You know, that's another great shortcoming. Do, do you know governments all over the world, health systems and medical schools never held public forums to educate people on what to do? Never. They never gave a, you know an update and saying, listen, this is how you should protect yourself now. This is how the multi-drug treatment protocol, because a lot of the, the things that we use in the multi-drug treatment protocol are available over the counter. So I mentioned the nasal sprays and gargles, but there's also zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin or, or curcumin. We all, you know, those all have evidence base. There was never any education provided. To this day, the World Health Organization, all the public health agencies, provide no guidance 
on what somebody should do when they get sick next. It's really stunning. It's a stunning lapse um, over the course of the four years. What we learned, and I published a book with best-selling author John Leake. It's called Courage to Face COVID-19. We think there was a giant lack of courage, physical courage, as well as intellectual courage. Uh, and everyone you know, facing this new menace wanted to basically be in the shadows and wait for governments or public health agencies to tell them what to do. And the agencies failed miserably at this. They, the agencies largely said, wear a mask, wait in lockdown, and, and wait to be saved by a vaccine. And it was a disastrous strategy. As you pointed out, masks don't work. There's been a Cochrane analysis of over 80 studies of masks. They're completely useless. Even our CDC says just wear them in the hospital when we're facing somebody in respiratory droplet spread. So we don't need to wear them at home. Uh, we know that uh, that the lockdowns didn't work because there's multiple papers demonstrating that, that the only people who needed to stay away from others are those acutely sick and contagious. So it was ridiculous to isolate people who weren't sick. And then lastly, the, the vaccines failed miserably. So, uh, you know, the public health agency response uh, couldn't be worse, actually. They, if we had no public health agencies, no governments, and doctors just did what they thought was right based on their intuition and the skill and the art of medicine, we would have saved more lives. That is a really insightful you know, perspective, knowing your background and all the research you've done. And, you know, as we're talking about the, the lack of education or the lack of um, taking the knowledge out there to the layman. And, you know, as a doctor, um, my father's a chiropractor. So I understand from that background, you know, when people are given some information, but they're not given it in the right format, it's very difficult for somebody to take that on. So you've published a book, you just mentioned it, and you've done tons of research what do you feel the response and the outcome of this publication will be? And, and that's important to you, correct? What we faced is an unbelievable wall of censorship. You just can't imagine this. Our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, was the best-in-class book in the early part of the pandemic. Five-star rating on Amazon, self-published with our own publishing imprint here from Dallas, Texas, after a year and a half of successful sales, this week, Amazon just struck it down in an act of censorship, uh, claiming offensive content. And we've reviewed the guidelines. There's nothing even close to offensive content in this you know, professionally authored book. John Leake, the first author, is a full-time best-selling author. So now we're in legal appeals and all kinds of entanglements. We've seen active censorship uh, one after another, anything to suppress the hope of early treatment. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that is an official YouTube and Google policies. They are suppressing any hope of treatment, anything on vaccine safety, and simply encouraging endless vaccination every six months. And And so that is the protocol that's taken by the government to... It, it it feels kind of like, I mean, we're not going to go into politics, but it almost feel feels like it's a theorem-based thing. Instead of saying we have the capability as human beings to look after ourselves. 
It's true. It it seems like it's a fait accompli that it was a vaccine only strategy from the very beginning. Uh, I think there's 189 countries still pushing vaccines. Uh, not a single country has fully licensed the vaccine, so they can't be bought and sold. They're, they're government property in every single government now for three years. And the vaccines largely are genetic. They're brand new technology, messenger RNA or adenoviral DNA technology. They have no long-term uh, assurances on safety. Mm -hmm. uh, they don't work, so people get COVID um, anyway. Doesn't stop the infection. It doesn't stop transmission. You know, our CDC director came out in the summer of 2021 and said that perfectly fully vaccinated people are giving it to each other. So it doesn't stop transmission. And there's been no randomized trial in any vaccine showing it reduces severity. It reduces hospitalization and death. It doesn't do that. So the vaccines have no clinical benefit. And what we've learned is they're associated with record dis uh, you know, injuries, disabilities, and deaths, uh, uh, unlike any other product we've we've ever seen. You know, as as a um, practicing internist, cardiologist, and epidemiologist, what does that actually mean? Well, what it means is, you know, as a doctor, I'm the bottom line. I have to either you know, recommend something or not recommend something. I've never recommended these vaccines. Never. My patients don't take these vaccines. Uh, they're not safe for human use. Uh, I've testified on December 7th, 2022, and now September 13th, 2023, in the U.S. Senate and European Parliament, respectively, telling governments these vaccines are not safe for human use. World Council for Health out of the United Kingdom has recommended they be pulled off the market in 2022 as the Association of American Physicians in 2023. I'll tell you, the vaccines should not be taken. Your, your audience needs to know this. Uh, the next shot could be fatal for anybody who takes it. They're simply not safe. Current estimates are from ecological studies, about 15 to 20 million people worldwide have lost their lives with the vaccine. I mean, this is an unbelievable tragedy. That is truly a tragedy and and a st statistic that is not exposed. I mean, I look I look at all the work that you've done and your hundreds of peer um, reviewed articles on the virus. You've been on Fox News Channel, Newsmax, ABC News, and America Out Loud talk radio show. You know, as a leading cardiologist in the world from Dallas, Texas. You know, you you have not only been outspoken for America, but for the world. Where do you think this is going to go next? It's clear that the public knows this is very important. So I've had more media exposure in time, as you point out, than any public health official, than any president. I've had more media exposure and analyses than Anthony Fauci in the United States mm -hmm. or the White House Task Force or President Trump or President Biden uh, than Tedros at the WHO. I've had more exposure. And some of the biggest programs I've done include Daystar, four times. Daystar is the largest Christian broadcasting network. They're in 145 countries, 200 million paid subscribers, multiple people watch with reruns. Each time I touched about 1.7 billion people, billion. So I can tell you people know we, we've had a survey 
in the United States, multiple surveys. One to quote is by Rasmussen and colleagues in December of 2022. One in four Americans know somebody who's died of the vaccine. They're, they're relatives, they're friends. So they're, everyone is talking to everyone else. We've had but mass protests. Sorry, Peter, to interrupt. Do they actually say that, though? Or they yes. too scared to say that? Well, I mean, that's a good point. Uh, they know when they fill out a survey privately, they know. Uh, if people really spoke out in public and there was a mass rejection of the vaccines, it could turn this around. People are are unfortunately uh, still afraid. Those taking it, the vast majority of people taking a vaccine do not want to take it. They feel forced into it by their employer, by school or some other mm. mechanism. And they know it's a Russian roulette with death. Uh, the rate of death is just simply too high. Um, in the United States, our CDC is acknowledging over 18,000 deaths. Acknowledging. That's grossly underreported. But of those who died in the United States, do you know 1,100 die right in the vaccine center or a few hours later? It's nearly immediate. So people are scared to death of taking these medications, and they, they should be. There's no There's no six months of employment that's worth taking a shot. Uh, so many people, you know, in France, there's thousands of healthcare workers that have been sidelined. They're not taking the same in Australia, New Zealand, uh, United States. We had healthcare workers and people uh, step off the job. Do you know there's an official letter and outlining every single case to the Canadian authorities? There's 180 dead Canadian doctors after the vaccine. And Canada is still pushing it. So believe me, there is huge global pushback on the vaccines. People know they're fatal. They cause four major areas of damage, uh, the cardiovascular system, the brain, uh, blood clotting, and immunologic system. Uh, they've been a complete disaster. So yeah, the second half of the pandemic uh, has really been uh, highlighting uh, the, you know, the dangers of the vaccine and coming up with ways of detoxifying after the vaccine. I've published the very first detoxification protocol to help people get out of this situation so they don't lose their lives later on with a blood clot or a cardiac arrest. That That is truly fascinating. And we'd love you to be able to share your information with us on that because I know there's many people in my personal um, spectrum and young men Particularly, I have four young men that I know under the age of 40 who have heart palpitations and difficulty with breathing. And it's almost like they got panic attacks. They've never had that in their life. There's no reason for it. There's no. And, you know, to have this kind of protocol or this kind of self-care is so important. So we hope that you can share your message, not only with us here at IOTP and Tip Radio, podcast, but that you can keep sharing that information. It is so, so vital. And, you know, I just look at your illustrious career. You have won numerous awards and honors been featured on magazines and been on TV all around the world. You'll be featured on the Nastic billboard in New York Times Square, and you'll be honored at the IOTP's annual awards dinner at the Plaza Hotel for your selection as top cardiologist and internist of the year. But you also received the American College of Cardiology's Simon Dack Award and the International Vincenza Award in Critical Care in Nephrology. 
that is just an amazing accolade that you've got. It's a, a where to from here. And firstly, just explain for the layman, what does nephrology mean? Well, nephrology is the study of kidney disease. And before COVID, I was broadly uh, researching both heart and kidney disease. So I'm recognized in that field. But these awards are, how, are how does, you know, wonder, that, wonderful. How does that wonderful. relate, the, the heart and, and, and the kidneys? Oh, the, the, those two organs are in sync with, with one another. There's a myriad of hormonal and other systems that are operative between the two the two organs. So it's very important that that's where so many in vitro diagnostics as well as therapeutics have been born. So it's called cardiorenal medicine. I'm considered the father of that field. Uh, but getting back to the awards briefly, it's wonderful to get them. It's it's certainly uh, a great honor to be um, among those of the International Association of Top Professionals in New York. That's going to be a real highlight uh, of my career. Uh, but I can tell you it's far more rewarding to make an impact in people's lives, helping them through the illness and now helping them through the catastrophe of the vaccines. Well, that's you, a true um, trailblazer. And it does take someone with courage like you to step out. Um, so where to from here for you, Peter? Um, you've got, you know, you're so busy. You um you know, work every day, you keep going, but what is your sort of five-year vision from here? My five-year vision is to bring this pandemic to a close. I think without the vaccines, it would have ended about two years ago with the early treatment protocol. The vaccines have extended the misery for another two years because the virus keeps mutating to evade the effects of the, of the vaccine. Uh, but ultimately, the vaccines have to be pulled off the market. That's going to be a huge step. I think there'll be a worldwide holiday when that happens. The vaccines have been such a menace for the world. And then we need to begin the long road to recovery. Now, I've published the first detoxification pro protocol in the Journal of American Physicians and Surgeons. It's also on the European Commission preprint server. And it's called Base Spike Protein Detoxification. It involves three, using three natural products available over the counter, I'm sure you can get them in your country, uh, natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin. Natokinase, bromelain, and curcumin. The doses are natokinase, 2,000 units twice a day, bromelain, 500 milligrams once a day, and curcumin derived from turmeric, 500 milligrams twice a day. And those doses are low. They can be escalated. It takes anywhere from three to 12 months to degrade the spike protein. The spike protein accumulates in the body after multiple infections, and certainly after taking vaccines every six months. The spike protein is not dissolved by human enzymes, so it must be dissolved by these external capsules that, that are taken. But fortunately, we've developed this. We've had a lot of experience in our clinic. Do you know, to this day, no single government has a detoxification protocol of how to resolve the problems with the vaccines in the whole world. The U.S. government's invested a billion dollars in this and the U.S. government has nothing to show for it. No, no uh, suggested protocol, no new drug, nothing to help people who are suffering from the vaccine. So again, I've stepped up and filled a void. I'm working with a small number of collaborators all over the world. Um, I want to recognize it down in your part of the world, Dr. Sankarit Chetty from Durban, South Africa. He's been a real leader in early treatment. He was one of the first who showed us we could treat COVID without hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin. That was a huge step. 
Um, doc, in your again, your area, Dr. Jackie Stone in Zimbabwe. Jackie's shown that we can treat hypoxemic patients at home. The low oxygen saturation should not be a trigger alone for hospitalization. So it's been a team effort all over the world, but it's very important. People now know they cannot look to governments or public health agencies for answers in a crisis. They need to look to doctors and people with courage, innovators, to help the world get through a crisis. Do you know throughout history, the answer has never come from the orthodoxy. You know, in, in a public health crisis, the answers never come from Harvard or Duke or University of Michigan or, you know, McGill University. Never. The innovations always come from the community and individuals who are, in a sense, mavericks. I guess I'm an intellectual maverick. Well, that that is truly inspirational because, as you said, you know, um, the you know so there's a first world um, approach to the vaccines, and then there's a third world approach. And certainly, coming from Africa, the approach was always very very skeptical about a vaccine. And so the majority of the ethnic tribes, especially in Namibia, we couldn't force them to actually have the vaccine because wow. they felt in, in intrinsically that they were being something was put in their body that they didn't need. They they either they're fatalistic. So I get sick and I might die. And and obviously there's many different ways, you know, to treat different diseases. But it, it's a it's a very diff, you know, it's a social. Um, it, it must be interesting for you to see it on a social level, how it affects different areas of the world. And as you say, the answers actually come from the human being saying, I am trusting like uh, my, my thought process about this. Um, how do you translate that into the Western world? Oh, that's such a fascinating. I'm so happy to hear that. You know, I've talked with doctors all over the world. You know, in Southeast Asia, it's the same thing. And there were so many ways to get through the illness using, uh, you know, aromatic substances, poultices, uh, vapors, anything that could kind of settle down the patient and help them get through the illness mm -hmm. with uh, gas exchange and respiration. So that's inspiring. You know, the tribes of Namibia, they had the right idea. Don't trust a brand new genetic technology that's never been used before with no assurances on long-term safety. You know, when the messenger RNA vaccines came out, there's no information on how they're going to get out of the body, how long they're going to last. And they code for the lethal part of the virus. They code for the spike protein. So the idea of injecting foreign genetic code that was for a spike protein devised in a biosecurity lab in Wuhan, China, with no knowledge on how it's going to get out of the body or how long it's going to get last. It was a gamble of a lifetime. I published an op-ed in The Hill, a widely read journal for the House, the Senate, and the White House of the United States in August of 2020. I said, this is a gamble. This is a great gamble. It looks like the people around the world read it and uh, mm -hmm. the tribes made the right decision. They're much safer without taking any vaccines. What What's the percent overall, do you think, of the ethnic tribes and then the various populations in your country who took the shot. We had statistics initially, and and I have to say to you, I got the different um, um, vi viruses, so the Delta and the I got it three yeah. times, um, and I can proudly say I did not get the vaccine. Good, but in our country, the 
they were they were really struggling so so much. I think it was even less than five percent. Oh, that's terrific! Is that every is that everybody or just the tribes? No, actually, we are we are um, almost ninety percent um, ethnic tribes. So mm-hmm. you know your colonialized people in Namibia um, or the westernized people that we live very isolated in small urban areas, whereas the mass of the population live in rural areas. And they would go to their witch doctors and their home doctors and rely on natural herbs. Um, And yes, there were fatalities, of course. And then the naysayers will say, oh, well, see, that's why, because you didn't take it. But I reckon, and I've seen over the last couple of years, that our country is actually quite strong and the immune systems are quite strong Mm -hmm. despite poverty and not having, you know, good nutrition. Um, So, you know, so I'm, you know, uh, we we all have our stance um, and we can't always have a platform to speak this, but, you know, coming from a naturopath background, my father being a chiropractor, we never had medication as a, as a child. Um, I had a natural home birth, you know, it's, it's, it's that kind of mindset, like you have the power to actually do something about your your body. Obviously, if there's a fatal accident or a shooting or anything like that, there's, you know, you can't heal something like that. But so so I love the fact that you bring back to the world that we actually all have power, a lot of power in what we decide and what we choose to do. So that is wonderful. Well- you know why that's important, Michelle, is because uh, at the WHO, Tedros, uh, Bill Gates, uh, Anthony Fauci in the United States, and uh, vaccine promoter Peter Hotez in Baylor College of Medicine in Houston, they're all predicting another pandemic with great enthusiasm. They're predicting this pandemic. They say it's going to be way worse than COVID. So it, what we know is that uh, there are bio labs all over the world working on developing more contagious viruses that are more serious. It's part of a biological threat program develop where they try to develop a threat and then an answer monoclonal antibodies and vaccines. Peter Daszak of the EcoHealth Alliance, an NGO that's shuttling U.S. research to China and to Singapore currently, uh, aspires to have dozens and dozens of these very contagious and lethal uh, viruses. You know, so yeah, there's going to be another pandemic, sure, because uh, the world seems to be in the business of contagious viruses and vaccines. The Gates Foundation, with the World Economic Forum, formed CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation. They keep they say their their business plan in 2017 says there'll be a series of pandemics. And there'll be one answer for each one of them, mass vaccination. So that was already established in 2017. It's true. Our, you know, Believe it or not, our U.S. military in 2012, DARPA, the research unit, still on their website today, had, had a, has a program called the ADEPT P3 program. 2012, it says we will end pandemics in 60 days with messenger RNA. So countries have made a massive investment with messenger RNA, tens of billions of dollars since 1985, uh, and they've been waiting to use this new technology. There's over 9,000 patents 
on messenger RNA. So no single person invented it. You know, somebody who comes out in 2021 and says they invented messenger RNA, it's not, um, it's not a believable claim. But people have invented various modifications. Recently, um, Carrico and Weissman at, uh, from Penn University in the United States, they, they actually won the Nobel Prize for a modification of messenger RNA that makes it indestructible. So ironically, that's what makes it so dangerous. We can't shut off production of the lethal spike protein. So, uh, you know, we have a situation where the Nobel Prize has been given uh, to, you know, the development of a disaster. And this is not the first time. By the way, Alfred Nobel himself, he invented dynamite, which was used during wars uh, and actually took great harm. And after him, Haber, uh, won the Nobel Prize for chlorine gas. That was used in the gas chambers in Germany, World War I and II. We have uh, the development of DDT, the pesticide that caused so much disease and damage, it was taken off the market. And then finally, uh, Igaz Moniz won the Nobel Prize for frontal lobotomy for schizophrenia to turn people into neurologic vegetables and ultimately had to be stopped worldwide. So the Nobel Prize is not a recognition always of something good for humanity. There's many examples where the Nobel Prize, even though it's a scientific innovation, turned out to be a disaster for humanity. And it looks like messenger RNA is in the same category. Yes, here's the other question. And I've got so many questions that we, we could be here all day. But right. so you have the first vaccine and now they give three booster shots but they will give it to you in one day. And you just kind of go, how much can my body actually take? This is poison. Well, you're raising an issue because there's been an acceleration of vaccination through the entire childhood schedule. And so do you know now that at a, you know, at an, at a young baby visit, that baby would receive measles, mumps, rubella, diphtheria, tetanus, pertussis, pneumococcus, influenza, respiratory syncytial virus, and COVID vaccine all at one time. Uh, you know, there are case vignettes where the, the children can't take it. They develop a, a fever, have seizures, and either die, or uh, they go on to develop autism or some, some terrible neuropsychiatric disorder. So hypervaccination is clearly harmful um, you know, vaccines, if they're taken, should be spaced out and should be very much risk stratified. There's five studies now showing going natural, taking no vaccines. I bet the tribes in Namibia take no vaccines. Going natural in papers by Mawson, um, Hooker, Miller, uh, uh, Thomas, and then an, 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 an Amish study, all showing going natural, there's lower rates of asthma, uh, atopic dermatitis, need for tympanostomy tubes, uh, Asperger's disease, autism spectrum disorder, and attention deficit disorder. Mm. So it's clear mm. that hypervaccination, somehow vaccines are backfiring on us now. They're causing more harm than good. Uh, the World Council for Health this month has come out with an official position statement to defer on all childhood vaccines until we can sort this out. That is a very positive move. I mean, if I think about history um, and when I grew up, we used to have um, chicken pox parties where if one child got a, ch a chicken pox, we would all be put together 
and we'll have a big sleepover and everybody got it and the whole school got it. And then, you know, that was over. It was done. Yes, some children got more sick than the others, but, and you know, a few, a few scars on their body. Um, but it was it was okay. But on that note, I've got to just ask you on a lighter note, with all the seriousness in your life, you've got a beautiful family. What do you do for fun? What do you do to relax? You know, I try to stay fit and healthy. I'm 60 years old. Uh, I have a lot You're of- You're not 60. No way. Yes. <laughs> so, I, you know, I've, I, I've had a lot of professional travel. It's been a real privilege. I, I've uh, recently just come back from Europe where I uh, testified in the European Parliament in Strasbourg, France, and on to um, Bath, the United Kingdom. I was in the London Parliament in the upper house. And then, uh, and then I gave some historic speeches in Nuremberg, Germany. And Nuremberg is where the finale happened with the end of World War II and then ultimately the trials for crimes against humanity. Yeah. So I can tell you it's really been a privilege to travel. I uh, keep up on fitness. I'm strict. I don't drink any alcohol. Uh, I try to get you know good amounts of sleep, you know, have the healthiest lifestyle possible. Uh, but I'm not going to rest until this crisis is closed. I, in many ways, what we've talked about is is horrifying, from not treating the illness to to vaccines that have been a worldwide disaster. And I'm not going to be done until this chapter, this really dark chapter in medicine is closed. But thank you so much for having me on the program. Make sure you follow me on my website, PeterMcCulloughMD.com. That'll take you everywhere. I've got the top doctor account on Twitter of doctors who see patients right now. And my podcast, America Out Loud Talk Radio, McCullough Report, every Saturday and Sunday, 2 p.m. Eastern, then on the Apple iHeart Podcast Network. My book, Courage to Face COVID-19, you can buy it through the website. Amazon has currently censored it in an unprecedented action against me. Uh, and, and then my Substack, Courageous Discourse, the leading uh, medical Substack out there. Uh, I have graphical abstracts. Every single quote that I gave today on this uh this interview is on a courageous discourse. You can see it. You know, what I am known for is that I go on national TV. I, in a very dispassionate way, I give the medical evidence with the citations and I let people review that themselves and come to their own decision. Again, thank you so much for having me on the program. You a total inspiration. And when I see you in December, I'm getting an autograph for about 10 books because I know so many people that would be just overwhelmed. Thank you so yes. much, Doctor. It has been amazing chatting to you and I'll see you soon. And especially in Namibia, I believe you're going to be yes. visiting Namibia okay. soon. So I'll see you in New York and hopefully in Namibia in April. See you then. Wonderful. Cheers. Thank you.